0: Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek The Next Generation, and reengage engage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the Gen X kids we were when it first aired. Today, we're talking about the seventh episode of season five, Unification One, and I am so excited to welcome my fellow cultural bridge officers to discuss the melding of two or three timelines, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us uh, for this one who knows a thing or two about this story from a more modern perspective, uh, but let's say hi first. Hi, Kate. How are you doing?
1: I- I'm doing so well. I am so excited about our guest, and I'm so excited to talk about this first uh, half of this two-parter. I did the thing where I didn't watch the second half yet because I wanted Ooh. to like be surprised you know, all these years later, so I'm excited about uh, talking
0: excellent uh jimmy g how are you doing
2: i am doing great uh just like kate i'm very excited for our guest unlike kate i watched all three episodes of Unication back to back to back just to get it all absorbed into my system uh and i'm excited to crack this one open sweet that's just how uh, uh spock intended. Eric, how are you doing? I am
3: having a fantastic day, made all the better by hanging out with three old friends and one new. Hello, Carlos. Uh, I'm excited to get talking.
0: Sweet. <laughs> uh, and yes, Carlos Cisco is here to join this panel talking about unification. Carlos, uh, you were a, I uh, still are kind what? of a uh, writer. Well, on.
4: I, no, not technically, because uh, we uh, we we sadly got uh, canceled back in March. So our fifth season will be the final season. So the season hasn't aired. So you know. I'll Still, my name will be out there, but uh, but yeah, I wrote for Star Trek Discovery, uh, seasons four and five, and started as an assistant in season three.
0: I love that. I, in in my mind, you are still it's still the present tense, it's not a past tense, it is still you are uh, doing it and making it happen, even though I I haven't seen it yet. The
4: the, the truth is, nobody's making anything happen right now because we're all on strike. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I mean, I guess in in that in that sense, sort of more relevant to now, I'm a a strike captain and a lot coordinator uh, for the WGA. So I'm out there, uh, mercifully, not as, not every day anymore. Uh, those first couple months <laughs> I was out there five days a week. Uh, and it was, Oof. uh, it was pretty rough, but, uh, I've, uh, I've cut back, uh, and we've got extra people that have, uh, kind of stepped in. So, uh. Able to take days off and do things like this.
0: Well, thank you so much for, for uh, pushing that forward. I think everybody here is a big supporter of all the unions and what they're trying to do to make a it change. Uh, it's a it's a big theme of Star Trek, of, of, of making change, and even this, uh, of this episode itself. Mm-hmm. So before we jump in and talk about what was going on in 1991 when this first aired, uh, I'd love to hear from you about your introduction to... The Star Trek franchise and how it became important for you.
4: Yeah, so it's it's sort of a there's like long gaps in it because uh, the first experience I had with Star Trek was uh, the Reading Rainbow episode where uh, LeVar goes to. Oh uh, no the, way! Yeah, that I mean you know when I uh, I am uh, just uh, under under y'all in terms of age. I I'm a, a elder millennial, whatever the hell that means, but um, <laughs> geriatric millennial. Yeah, I think. something like I feel that way. My body feels that way every day. So that was really. Really my first uh, sort of introduction to it. I didn't really have TV in the 90s um, so I grew up watching uh, The Simpsons tapes that my mom would send me so that's like I have pretty much seasons two through uh, 10 memorized. This you know that point. was about it but I got you know in that and uh, you know Futurama King of the Hill, the things that sort of came on Sunday primetime. So I felt like I got a lot of Star Trek by osmosis because you know there were th- there was a lot of those jokes in especially Futurama, you know about Star Trek. But um, not having TV through the 90s really cuts you out of a lot of seminal television from the 90s because it was that or buy like $50 VHS tapes with two or three episodes of Star Trek apiece. And there was no way I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the time that streaming rolled around, I was like, I looked at it. I was like, I should watch Star Trek. And then I'm like... There's like 700 plus episodes. No way, man. This, I I couldn't even make it through four seasons of Buffy. Like this is hard. 22 episode seasons, hour long. Are you kidding me? My brain is rotten now because of streaming. (laughs) I I went through a long fallow period in my career out here where I I could not get a meeting. I was considering a career change and um, apropos of no uh, prior skill, I saw a job posting at Wizards and I applied. Uh, And I got an interview inexplicably i don't know why because <laughs> uh i hadn't written anything in the game space yet i had you know re- relevant sort of television room experience and stuff like that uh, then i also ended up getting an email out of the blue from michelle paradise who was the showrunner uh, incoming showrunner of star trek discovery season three and she's like hey do you want to apply for a writer's assistant position i'm like what what How? who who are you? Like, why would you do this? That's so kind. Uh, I sent in an application. I sent in a sample. And uh, the week that I got, uh, the Monday that I got a rejection from Wizards, that Friday, Michelle was like, I need you to start in two weeks. So I like quit my horrible day job without notice because they didn't deserve it. Good for you. Woo! Then just took a two-week vacation and then started on Star Trek uh, season three as an assistant. I, uh, I, I called the Federation, the Empire in front of Alex Kurtzman on day one. So I'm, I'm amazed that they asked me back for day two. And, uh, uh, but you know, so I, uh, I'm no fool. Uh, and I understand that Star Trek is the, the franchise that birthed fandom as we understand, like in the modern context. Like Marvel fandom, Star Wars fandom, that all comes from Star Trek fandom, yeah. or at least the model of it. I was like, well, I, I need to understand this show that I'm working on. I can't, I can't be <laughs> caught with my pants down. And so I started watching Next Gen. And then because season three of Discovery was having a lot to do with Andorians and Orions, uh, one of the staff writers suggested I watch Enterprise. So I watched all of Enterprise, and then I finished Next Gen, and then I watched Deep Space Nine, which is now among my favorite shows ever made. Mm. Then I burnt out in about season four of Voyager. I was like, I can't I can't work 10 hours a day on Star Trek and then watch episode, like two episodes in the morning and two episodes in the evening of Star Trek. I just can't. And so when we went on hiatus, I finished Voyager. I watched the movies and all that. Um, oh, that was the other thing. In gifted and talent, in gifted and talented class, in you know, in, in the in, in, uh, elementary school, they made us watch uh, Star Trek IV because you know whales were very oh. important in the '90s. So <laughs> uh, I did. I do remember seeing that. Um, but yeah, and that so that kind Hello, of like computer. Um, yeah, oh, so good. So it, yeah. It's, uh, so it, I rewatched it recently, and man, it holds up so well. It's like one one of my favorites. It's so good. You know, I went from being a, the guy who called it the, enter, the the Empire on, on on day one to being one of the I don't want to say like canon cops because no, I would be the one that uh one or one of the other, one of two people who uh, a lot of the upper level writers would send frantic emails at like three in the morning when they're working on their draft, like what's this thing that that's canon that I can insert into this, and I'm like read memory <laughs> alpha and then i'll call you i don't know <laughs> um, but uh but yeah the so, pedantic
0: roll up you know push up yeah, these exactly. ey- eyeglasses like well i what just learned from that, watching voyager last night
4: what's funny though is that was sort of my trick like even season three everyone thought i knew a lot but it was literally because i was taking notes sitting behind a laptop and someone mentioned something i'm like what's that from and i could like pull up memory alpha and have all the information i would need to sort of like Shorthand something. Uh, oh, for yeah. so,
0: so you were data, basically. Yeah, basically.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I talk about it a lot. I I wonder how much of like my childhood, what other like books and loved things <laughs> from my youth that I have purged to just intake all that Star Trek knowledge <laughs> in like a rapid a rapid rate. There's only so many brain cells. But you know, from there, uh, it's sort of just that. Like I I uh, I got promoted in season four. Uh, I wrote. Um, Episode four hundred seven, uh, which is the um, what's the name? Oh, but to connect, it's uh, which is a big sort of like very classic Star Trek. Uh, uh, two sort of stories about similar theme debates. Um, not a lot of action. Um, and, uh, and then I wrote an episode in, uh, in season five, which I can't talk about at all, so uh, we won't. <laughs>
2: um, and,
4: uh, and yeah, uh, but I've also, like, I've written for um, Star Trek Adventures, the, the role-playing game for their Discovery supplement, and I also do tabletop design. Just, I, I, that, even though I did not get the job at Wizards, I ended up having a sort of, like, a, a burgeoning side hustle in that, which is actually quite nice when you're on strike. <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, I can definitely take freelance contract work in that.
0: That's amazing. What a what a journey. Uh, I love that you went from not knowing to being the expert uh, very quickly. Uh, it feels like you got the crash course. And in some ways, it's more fresh of mind than some of the people that were working on it for decades, right? Because you you'd just seen some of those episodes. So that's great. Yeah, We're we're having that similar thing where, uh, you know, this podcast, we're going back and looking at old episodes we remember watching when we were young, but also it feels brand new and fresh at the same time. Uh, and and it's really interesting.
4: So one of the most surreal things that happened when I was watching Deep Space Nine was like, why do I know this scene? I've never seen this episode. Like, why, why do I know this scene so well in particular to the point where I almost like can say it word for word the first time I've seen it? And it was because those commercials were in syndication uh, on those tapes that I had. Mm. So I, I like, I remember these like scenes with Quark and stuff, and I'm like, what? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't recall. And then like finally, I it clicked in. I was like, oh my god, these were all like these commercials for Deep Space Nine were all over these uh, these tapes that I had. <laughs> oh,
5: that's um, great. So- funny
0: it be transported back in time uh which is yeah again a the theme of what we're doing here very excited uh to chat with this since it has such tendrils in what you did for season three of Star Trek Discovery but this is unification episode seven for season five uh it was star date four five two three three point1. Uh, That first aired on November 4th, 1991. Uh, There were uh, a couple of really fun and interesting things, especially in regards to the themes of this episode happening uh, during around this time. So November 6th, 1991, uh, two days after this aired, Russian President Boris Yeltsin outlawed the Communist Party in Russia. I don't remember that exact uh, uh, thing happening, but it is kind of amazing that there's so much change was occurring and uh, it's important to note as we'll get into uh, talking about this probably when we talk more uh, in Jimmy's uh, side of things. But these, this two-parter uh, unification was meant to be a uh, melding of things in in preparation for Star Trek VI uh, that was going to be releasing in the following month. Also on November 6th, the last oil fire that was set by retreating Iraqi troops in Kuwait was extinguished. So if you remember from all of our episodes last season, uh, that was in uh, January and February of 1991, those fires were burning for 10 months. And finally on November 7th, um, Magic Johnson announced but he has HIV and he was retiring from the a- L.A. Lakers. Uh, I remember that being a, a extremely important bellwether for, for that crisis that was happening in, in, in our country.
3: Yeah, I kind of remember that being a moment where everybody in your circle that was a horrible ho- homophobe uh, kind of revealed themselves uh, if Absolutely. they hadn't already uh, the, the the awful jokes and and shit about magic and about hiv were uh, given new kind of life in in that moment it was awful yeah
2: and magic became sort of uh the measuring stick for the progression of aids related treatments um because of his how he's still alive and how after the years had passed like he was still there and it was it was sort of a hopeful thing because, um, I, like I've mentioned before in the podcast, that year I was actually involved in a traveling show that went around the state of Wyoming teaching kids about uh, HIV and what was true and not. That brought me into this fear of people and I, like, I met a gentleman who was dying of AIDS as it was in that day. He got the diagnosis, and within a year, he was dead. Magic getting the diagnosis and still being alive. The the longer he came, moved away from that diagnosis, and still was alive, it was like, wow, things, we can see that things are changing. And things, not necessarily culturally, but within the world of medicine.
0: To, to your point, Eric, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, bad people that came out about that, but I also remember... On internally being like, well, that it, it was this person that we all knew and loved and had like a, a, a great fandom around for, for basketball. And it was like a, a, a turning point, I think, where it was like, here's something that we can uh, uh, point towards uh, that is about uh, finding those solutions that you're talking about, Jimmy, too. Yeah. Well, as I always do when I talk about the history stuff, it's always such pleasant and fun uh, <laughs> facts that I bring up. Uh, and it is up to Kate to uh, talk about the entertainment and fun things that were going on uh, around this time.
1: I'm here for you. Uh, So in pop culture, we had number one on the music charts, Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation. And y'all, I was not familiar with that song at the time because I was not allowed to listen to Prince at that time of my life. Uh, And I just... Oh, what
3: a sad time.
1: That song is filthy in the best way possible. (laughs) It's so good. The, The video is just raunchy and... Beautiful and I love it and I'm you know but they were probably right I think maybe I would not have been able to have handled <laughs> that much <laughs> Prince <laughs> at that time of my life in the movie sphere The People Under the Stairs was the number one movie. Oh fuck yeah! Uh, yeah, I figured Eric would enjoy that.
3: I do enjoy that.
4: I don't know if I don't know if I've ever heard of that movie.
3: Oh, Wes Craven.
4: Oh, oh, see, I should have. I, I, I'm a big horror person i feel bad now but no 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 i was i was i think 1991 i was seven so i had just moved back to the united states from honduras so i was just becoming culturally
3: aware of things again ah, yes. well you have a treat in front of you carlos
1: Okay. (laughs) On television, the fourth installment of the Gambler film series, The Gambler Returns, The Luck of the Draw airs. (laughs) It featured Kenny Rogers' character running into a bunch of old TV Western characters played by the original actors. Eric, this one is for you. It included uh, Gene Barry as Bat Masterson, Hugh O'Brien as Wyatt Earp, Jack Kelly as Bart Maverick, and David Carradine (laughs) as Kung Fu's Kane, amongst others. Wow. The Kane
3: crossover.
1: I love that. So it was all these old school cowboys coming together for this one made for television episode, which was fantastic. Oh, amazing. And also, I mention this only because I remember it very clearly They had, NBC had Hurricane Saturday, which depicted a fictional hurricane storming into the storylines of three series set in Miami, Florida. (gasps) So it was all three shows were created by Susan Harris. So it was the Golden Girls, Empty Nest, and Nurses all had to deal with the same hurricane. And I remember that because it was such a huge thing to have that crossover. Yeah. This
4: is this is one of the many casualties of the streaming model is like, we cannot yes. do crazy weird stuff like
1: that anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed.
0: That's what the wow. Marvel, Marvel tried to keep up with the continuity thing. Like, I feel like they were doing it in TV before that. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah but this is like, I feel like, the, the 22 episode model lends to like something weird like this yes. like let's yeah. just put hurricanes yeah. in three shows right. like <laughs> <You> <laughs> run out of steam
1: <laughs> and finally in theater park your car and yeah. have It yard opened on broadway um, I just wanted to say that. I'm not familiar <laughs> with it. <laughs> I'm not either, uh, but it sure sounded fun
2: to say. Oh, that's a name? I thought you were doing a reference. I was like, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to laugh like. You.
1: <laughs> no, there was apparently a, a Broadway show called Park Your Car in Harvard Yard. I um, had a
0: girlfriend in uh, the oh. 90s. We went. we were going up to Boston for, uh, for first night uh, there, and her mother had a very strong... Boston accent, and uh, we were going up there, and you know, we you know. So she, we were young, so she needed to know what the plans were. But she literally said, "Where are you going to park the car?" Said, I'm going to park the car at Harvard Yard, and then she, stone face. She's like, "Why would you do that?" <laughs> Love it. Did not get the reference, but I loved it. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. Uh, Jimmy, what was going on behind the scenes here of this Unification episode?
2: Well, uh, at this time in the era of TNG, this particular era, Nimoy was in high demand, not least of which was because of his directorial stints with Star Trek 3 and 4, but a lot of it had to do with Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. And these three things effectively priced him out of being a guest star on Star Trek because his standard rate was about what it cost to do an episode (laughs) and so it became a big deal on how can we get Nimoy in and I'll tie this back in for my my last point of the Nemesic files and what Rick Berman did was get uh, Nimoy a, a producer credit on Star Trek 6 because the studios really wanted these two episodes to be a promotion for the movie, which although had been filmed before the two episodes, was coming out about a month after the second one was released. Nimoy got his payday really from the producer credit of Star Trek 6, and he worked for scale on these two Episodes, And then there's Jerry Taylor, who we know, she's one of the writers on many of the old episodes. She was disappointed that she was only brought in to do the story setup for Unification. But she also had this little inkling that she wanted to break into novels. And as fate would have it, a book company was looking for somebody to write the novelization of Unification 1 and 2 and picked Jerry to do it. But here's the catch. She had 30 days to write this novel and those 30 days happened to fall within much of the shooting of these two episodes. So she had to pop in for rewrites on set while she was hunkered down to write a novel in just 30 days, but she did. And then she also got her next first as being invited to Star Trek cons thereafter. To talk about this, Carlos, I I see you having like whiplash from from that story. I was gonna say I can I can <laughs> I can
4: relate. Uh, I had to so during COVID I had to produce the first two episodes of uh, uh, season four um, remotely, and uh, it just so happened that that fell during the week that I was writing my episode. And the week of the presidential election that year, <laughs> which was, oh. you know, that whole thing oh. took like a week and then some. So it was uh, right. a yeah, nightmare time. So Stressful. relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big yeah. way.
2: And then tying it in, this episode brings back Leonard Nimoy, as, as we know, but this was not supposed to be his return. Nimoy was supposed to be brought back in the season opener of season two. However, there was a writer's strike going on at the time. <laughs> and because of that, uh, they weren't able to do it. And the episode was supposed to be uh, Return to Forever. They had a name for it and an outline, and it was gonna be the, the meeting of the, the movie Nimoy and the 24th century Nimoy coming together via Guardians of Forever Time Portal, Ooh. which was introduced in the TOS episode, um, City on the Edge of Forever. As I mentioned, there was the Writers Guild strike at the time, so things fell apart. A Nimoy was never able to be a part of that until later. But as we all know, that strike ended all oppression by Hollywood against the writers. And everything <laughs> since then has been hunky dory with uh, fairness and respect given to uh, the writers in the end. Super great. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so at least there's a happy ending. <laughs>
2: and that's all from the Nimbusic Files. <laughs> that
0: is amazing. Eric, what can you tell us? There are quite a few guest stars in yeah, this. Yeah, skip episode. me. It's too
3: much. Can't do it. No, brain went crazy. <laughs> no, there's a ton of people in here, starting with some guy named Leonard Nimoy. That uh, <laughs> Jimmy mentioned at length. None of us have ever heard of that man. Namoy. So we'll
0: just skip Nimoy. right past
3: him. <laughs> yes, right. Leonard Namoy. Go watch Three Men and a Baby. It holds up. That's all I'll say on him.
0: Forgot he was in that. No, he directed it. Same thing. In Guff's world,
3: <laughs> so uh, you also have the great Joanna Miles as Perrin again. We talked about her at length earlier, but I will mention again. Go back and watch her as Queen Gertrude in the fantastic *Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead*. You'll enjoy it. Then we have Steven Root as Cavada, and we all know this man. It. He's in uh, this. Check that shit out, everybody! Uh, suddenly, a huge star shows up before before the stardom. Um, so, you know, I'd say go. Uh, of course, check out *Office Space*. But before that, uh, spend some time with uh, Dave Foley and, unfortunately, Joe Rogan and uh, (laughs) the Great Candy Alexander. Of course, Phil Hartman in the brilliant news radio, uh, or at least the first couple seasons until Phil Hartman's unlikely divorce from living. So then we have uh, one Graham Jarvis as uh, Clem Dokachin in one of my favorite guest stars in Star Trek history. Just fantastic. Um, Check out his film work, especially in Silkwood, Misery. Like he was on a real role right around this same time. You have Malachi Throne as Pardek. Also wonderful, you know, a, a long history. Of work with Gene Roddenberry. Um,
2: Great name, too, right? Right? (laughs) Malachi Throne.
3: (laughs) If you go all the way down, Daniel Roebuck, Eric Avari, Karen Hensel, all of whom have fantastic careers. Please check them out. And then, of course, the great Mark Leonard as Sarek. This is the end of his association with this particular character, other than some voiceover stuff he did a little bit later. But in addition, he was the first. Romulan character ever seen in full makeup in in the original series, you might remember. And he is the first Mm -hmm. Klingon scene with the the forehead ridges in Star Trek, the original motion picture. Truly a giant of the series, not just the character, but the actor. And we will mourn him moving forward and in the episode itself. Uh, That's all I have to say about this incredible array of guest stars and co-stars, please check out their work in other stuff as well.
0: I love that. Mark Leonard, I think is the only actor to have played a Vulcan, a Romulan, and a Klingon in Star Trek history. Well, fuck yeah. And uh, yeah, and Stephen Root. I can't believe he was in this. I, I actually didn't recognize him in, in the episode itself um, <laughs> because he's decades younger, as well as prosthetics on him, but uh, his turn in Barry is amazing. I love him in that. Okay. It's so good. All right, enough preamble. Let's get into the episode. Episode itself, uh, it is as you said, written by Jerry Taylor and uh, a story by Rick Berman and Mike Piller, the showrunners uh, at the time, and directed by Les Landau, who directed. Many, many, many TNG episodes, including being a first assistant director on Encounter at Four Point and Code of Honor. Uh, he actually was the director of Code of Honor because uh, that director um, uh, left. I know, right? That's probably he didn't want to be credited. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, he was on that it. stricken from his record. Yeah, <laughs> but he's also done uh, some of our more recent favorites like Ensign Ro and Half a Life, uh, and he directs this uh, wonderfully well. Uh, so we open with a you know standard Star Trek mission happening. But we got a break-in from a fleet admiral telling us that there is something really important going on. She makes a few dramatic crosses when talking to Picard in his ready room. But we get to see that the Allah Holobaloo is really just about a, an individual. And hence, and hence, oh it's Spock. And we all know it. Every Star Trek fan knew about it going in and watching this. Uh, what did you guys think of this, uh, this setup for us trying to figure out what's going on with Ambassador Spock?
1: I'm glad you mentioned the crosses because that's going to be a theme throughout <laughs> this entire episode is the dramatic cross. <laughs> like that this director, you know, did not mm-hmm. meet a like depth of field shot that oh, yes. uh, he didn't love. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 like it's the first of many. Yeah.
2: I'm so glad you brought that up I thought maybe I was being nitpicky or imagining it but yes lots of depth of field shots
4: her admiral wear too was really strange I felt like even <laughs> even among admirals like I was like what what is happening with this weird like really super low V thing and the, yeah I don't know it wasn't
3: about it a power flex Me, definitely yeah.
2: when she says in delta 4 because she refers to the picture enhance delta 4 please It's like, that's a really esoteric way of looking at A flat object of it's already broken down into sections for you and you know exactly where delta four is on it Mm. uh and nobody else brings it up later when they do other enhancing of photos to come they just like go to the left side enhance uh (laughs) one over here with the guy (laughs) it means something different for her um
0: i did read uh this was meant to be the admiral that we had seen in previous episodes for some reason uh, i think scheduling conflicts she was not able to uh, appear in it so they had to rewrite um, this new fleet admiral bracket. In order to to do this setup, and yeah, to your point, Carlos, I have no idea what the admirals' uniforms standard are supposed to look like. It feels like they're different each time we see them. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, we have the sweatered admiral, and then we have the vamp admiral, and then we have the farmer admiral. <laughs> the yeah,
4: I think I think once you get to admiral, you just you do not have to abide by Starfleet dress regulations anymore, aside from color. <laughs> Uh, Still got to be a weird jumpsuit, but, you know, (laughs) just just weirder.
0: So after the credits, we have the idea that uh, Spock means something to Picard. They start to head to the planet Vulcan in order to try to meet with Sarek, who we saw last season. He had a mind meld with Picard. We saw his uh, degenerative disease and how the emotions are taking control. You know, we have a kind of side conversation here with uh, Picard and Riker about uh, how he knows Spock and how fathers have of touching relationship with their sons. And all we get from Riker acknowledging a previous episode is like, oof, tell me about it, am I right? Understood. Uh,
4: (laughs) Well, there's there's an interesting uh, canon implication in all of this once, you know, like you start adding shows on shows on shows on shows is Picard knows about Burnham from Discovery and knows about Discovery. Mm. Because if he mind-melded with Sarek, he knows all of that stuff. Yeah. And so it's just an, you know obvi- obviously that's not uh, mm. in the in the context of the next generation episode, but it's an interesting thing when you go back sort of with that knowledge and sort of look at it with that context. Mm. Like there's some uh, there's some sort of like fun moments that even though Patrick Stewart is not playing towards that, feels like it could sort of be in that that vein. Mm.
1: That's just how good he is.
2: <laughs> he blew my He knew. Mind. He
1: knew. <laughs>
0: He could see the future. Um, Plot-wise, we get a uh, a thing that doesn't feel that important here, but Picard says to Riker, "Like, hey, we got some debris. I don't know. Check it out. Maybe it'll be important. It's you know, uh, it's it's why we're going to Vulcan, not really to go meet with with Sarek, uh, but they're going to look at this stuff. It's a it's it's a kind of a ham-fisted way to enter into this B plot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> like, here, have a B story.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Riker's like, "Sure, I guess I'll I guess I'll do that. No problem." But we get to see Sarek's wife here. Uh, I believe this is the same actress that plays her in the movies.
3: Yes, uh, pretty much every time Seric and and she are around, it's it's her, Joanna Miles. She's really fantastic.
0: I love that they continue uh, that continuity there. Um, and uh, she has some mint tea. She thinks Vulcans are not very good with mint. <laughs> very nice. Interesting that he's not having Earl Grey in this situation. But I love this scene actually between the two. Of them. More dramatic crosses uh, happening. Oh here. my gosh. <laughs>
1: She spends so much time in that foreground and he spends so much time in that background
0: blurred she says that uh, I, no one else would be able to I would I would refuse everyone else who's asking to speak with sarek but because you you've you've had the mind meld you helped him through the effects of bendy syndrome you might be able to get you know get in touch with them so so let's set up that meeting in the cargo bay we see uh laforge and Riker going through some really cool looking props <laughs> <laughs> yeah plastic they look like they're left over from the borg ship you know kind of just but arrayed flat on the ground and geordie has that great line it's like yeah oh, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle but we don't even know what the picture is which part of me is like wait they have jigsaw puzzles is that it's classic. I mean, Come on, it's classic. Yeah, I
4: mean, I feel like you know, when you when you have a replicator and you have sort of like the the access to the sort of you know historical records that you have, you can be like, oh, I guess make a jigsaw puzzle replicate. You know, you,
1: you can try whatever you want. Apparently, you have time. <laughs> is,
0: is it actual cardboard? Like, is it? Uh, Look, yeah, something
1: I, needs to get lost underneath the footing of uh, you know people on the Enterprise. So, might as well be puzzle pieces. Self cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot. It's self-cleaning.
0: Wouldn't it be digital, though? Like if you were like a computerized society hey, like this? Hey, they have, like a...
3: hey. Sometimes it's fun to have the chess pieces in your hand, Greg. Come on.
0: Sure. Well, b- three-dimensional chess pieces.
4: Well, I, <laughs> I also feel like their society is still much, uh, even more analog than ours now at this mm. point. Like the way that like their their data pads and stuff work is it's like one thing on them. You know, like they don't have like I have more information in my phone than they have in a pad. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Like and of course, like again, that's just like us looking back at, at things and, right. and all the things that I'm using now were probably inspired by Star Trek to begin with. So <laughs> it's it's just real real uh, Ouroboros. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I, yeah. I just love that that anachronism where the idea that, like, oh, all this 20th century stuff is really important four centuries from now. And I'm like, that's just not true. That's, you know, that's in the 16th century. We don't really talk about their lifestyles right. in
2: this quite the same way. In TOS, they still had ticker tape. Like, <laughs> did I Spock would get readouts and it was like ticker tape coming out of the thing and he'd read them like it was an old mainframe flashcard. <laughs>
4: You know, I, I, that's, that's real interesting though, uh, Greg, I had never really heard that articulated like that because like, I really, I, I almost feel like this is, it's just sort of an unconscious effort on the part of the writers to sort of like, this is the minutia that I love here on earth, like, and I want that to last. And this is sort of their way of making it last in a way. Um, uh it, it's like you know the the obsession with baseball in ds9 and yeah uh, you know like there's like all these little little modern day cultural touchstones that you're like well why that and it's like well because the writers loved it you know and they wanted <laughs> to put that in there uh, but it is funny uh it is I, funny I, but that's also that goes to saying you know more also to like uh, like sort of idioms in terms of phrase like you know gift horse don't look a gift horse in the mouth like People say that, but they probably don't really know what that means in 90% of the cases. And I feel like that's a lot, that's, you know, goes for a lot of our uh, 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 sayings now, especially as we've like moved away from the sort of the the, the analog appliances of uh, sort of my youth and, and yours uh, and into our, our digital age. There's a lot of like weird sayings, um, you know, dial a phone, that, that, that what? <laughs> <laughs> what relevance does that have to someone in Gen Z like who's never seen
3: a movie phone? Yeah, yeah. Well, hell, jig, jigsaw puzzle itself. Most people don't know what a jigsaw is. So if you're, mm-hmm. you know, even if they're talking about the puzzle and they do know what that is, it even goes a
0: step further. It's fascinating. Well, I've given my daughter at least five horses, so I've looked those. Those get horses in the mouth for real. Uh, but then we get to a wonderful scene that Mark Leonard has. Uh, he said he was given this this only this scene when he got the script, and he's like, "This is great. I'm I'm gonna love this." Uh, apparently, he didn't actually know that that Sarek dies uh, in this episode, uh, so he, he was like, "Oh, that's shitty." That's uh, Bye, I guess. Uh, but it was James. Gig. Yeah, it was James Doohan at a at a Star Trek convention. They said, "Like, well, you ha- it happened off screen, so." You never know. You might come back. <laughs> <laughs> and he of all people knows that's true. And yep.
4: if it happens on screen, they can still come back in Star Trek.
0: But this performance uh, that Mark Leonard gives uh, in this scene is just wonderful. Uh, Eric, I'll throw it to you. What did you think about uh, the way he portrayed uh, this, this disease that he has?
3: Well, all I could think all the way through it is we know what the cliches are when dealing with a degenerative disease performance right and and we know how based in truth they are so there's a there's a minefield there for any performer to do but like I'm so grateful that it's such a thoughtful performer who is adept at changing his own kind of emotional connection moment to moment so that the moments like where he lost his place and then found it again in Picard, are thorough, but they're not like deeply lingered upon. Mm. <laughs> Do you know, it's it's uh, coming from a clown. Like I really, I really appreciate how quickly the transitions are made. Uh, uh, where the and the character doesn't linger on stuff the character does not remember uh, and lets us linger on that in, instead. it's it's a really masterful series of uh, decisions that he's made with with you know the help of a really fantastic uh, script for this scene uh, for for both actors as well.
0: Yeah. I love the moment too, where he's he's going through all those emotions and all those things and he stands and he actually has those kind of lucid moments with Picard and it, and it's like oh he drops into that the way the mode of speaking that I remember Sarek uh for, you know for that I fell in love with in the movies as a kid right and he just does that ooh, he lowers his voice a little bit and he does his his hands almost come together and do that like you know the the the, the mannerisms that you remember um and uh, he is his old self for a bit and then just goes well, away. It's, and he it's so he trusts
3: us in those moments to remember what he was just like. And he lets his character forget that and and yeah. just drop completely into what we see in the moment. He lets the other characters on screen and us remember what an awkward transition that was. And it's, it's such a neat bit of confidence from the actor to give us that. Good There's stuff. also
1: just that beautiful moment where um, he gets confused for a moment about Picard and Picard so gently deals with that in the way in, in the kindest possible of ways like not a well, we were just talking about that or don't you know who I am just mm-hmm. patiently and kindly and lovingly, you know, reminds him where they're where they're at and what they're talking about. It's really it was it was a really beautiful moment.
0: Good Patrick Stewart moment for sure. Um, and then, of course, this ends with uh, uh, Sarek attempting to give the Vulcan salute, uh, but physically unable to do so. And I just love the the way that Patrick Stewart just moves his fingers so that he's able to do it. And it doesn't even matter, really, because no one's really seeing it or anything. But it's just a symbolic moment of like, I'm here to, to give you the, the, the tools you need to communicate. Moving on, the Enterprise needs a cloaked ship. Uh, And so they go to their new buddies, Gowron, and uh, we get to see some really fun Klingon-ness in this episode, which is, I think, probably was a a bit of a surprise to fans who were like, oh, this is going to be all about Romulans and Vulcans. But it's also about the, the most recent events that have happened in the Klingon Civil War here, too. So Picard hails, Gowron's not answering the phone. Um, probably because the, the actor wasn't able to make it to this shoot because it was already a, a, a really full slate of guest stars and the, the budget probably couldn't support Gowron coming back. Um, that's my headcanon as to why. Uh,
3: the weight of the eyes alone. No.
0: <laughs> he gets, you know, $100,000 per eye um, for each episode. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, but we get we get you know officious and upset Picard dealing with the adjutant uh, that he has to talk to uh, here, uh, which is which is really fun and interesting. Uh, what did you guys think about uh, the interactions that Picard here has with the Klingon bureaucracy, uh, Carlos? I'll throw it to you.
4: I just, I mean, I love the Klingons so much. I think they're they're really fun, and I I think like. This this era uh, still has them when they're pretty like rough around the edges and you know like DS nine strangely even though it doesn't soften them but they they sort of take a softening stance later in it they're still real real barbaric here and I don't know I thought like the the idea that he's dealing with bureaucracy when what we've seen up to this point has been very you know kind of over the top uh, is I think I I love it I love I love a <laughs> uh, uh, sort of like alien culture's version of bureaucracy and Klingons don't disappoint. <laughs>
0: I think Picard says, fuck you in the subtext about three times uh, in this conversation. Right, Jimmy? Oh
4: yeah. 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 It's always nice to see Picard get like angry, but when he can't express it like fully though, you'd think like with the Klingons, they would have, they would have respected it. They, you know, they don't, it's fine. They don't care about swearing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think they do, too, when he's like, yes, and they will have our gratitude going forward. It's a, <laughs> say, mm? Does Gowan really want to ostensibly fight for the Dura sisters or, or whoever? I'll fight for baytor
5: <laughs> That's
0: it. Before that, of course, we figure out that uh, Spock is on Romulus with a Romulan senator by the name of... Pardek. Thank you. Pardek. Pardek.
5: Pardek. P- 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 P-
0: they, yeah, it's kind of pronounced in <laughs> two, two different ways throughout the episode. It's Padek and then Par, the R starts to be yeah. a little bit more. They're finally able to get their the ship that they ask for that has cloaking technology, which will get them to Romulus. And the other part of this plan is that they need to have a disguise. Uh, and so Dr. Crusher is there doing some amazing work on prosthetics, uh, as well as the Bolian barber has a mention in this scene as well.
2: Oh, Mott. Do you think Mr. Mott was like, when they asked him about the wigs, he's like, No. It's bland. It's boring. Yes. The Romulan hairdo is very pedestrian. The only thing I like <laughs> is the points, which of course we've already mentioned he invented. He invented the points.
4: Well, I just like I've always been curious about the Bolian barbers because I think like the Bolians are a deeply unexplored race throughout canon, at least you know in in the the, the on the shows themselves, but like they are bald. <laughs> Yeah. Is it just the running <laughs> joke of the whole thing? Like, that it's Bolian barbers? Do they, are they obsessed with hair? Like, what is this about? <laughs> we,
3: we talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, and there are a couple of Bolian uh, characters with hair. So it's hair pieces. So, like, there's at least at some point, like, there is fashion on wearing various toupees among Bolian men <laughs> as well. So, like... Yeah, I, I want a whole episode, a bottle episode, just on, like at Bullion Barber
0: College.
5: let
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll just do a Star Trek barbershop. Yes. Uh, of course, they're talking about how they're going to disguise Data uh, as a Romulan here. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, change your pigmentation. We don't know if we're going to be able to change it back. Uh, and I bet Brent Spiner was like, yes, please.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't want to be yellow-hued skin boy anymore. We get some more plot about the, what's going on with the trash uh, that LaForge has got. Uh,
4: <laughs> got that, that trash B story. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, but apparently, it's part of a deflector array from a Vulcan ship that was decommissioned a long time ago. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna follow up on that uh, with another wonderful guest star uh, that we'll be talking to. We get the whole scene in the supply depot, uh, which is a w- another weird slice of life scene in here. Um, it seems to be kind of a uh, a theme for this everyone was really nervous about this episode because they they were uh going to of course have this reintroduction of the spot character and they leave it towards the end and so i think they were a little bit this is a little bit filler even though there's some of the best most interesting parts of these scenes but yeah this guy uh the quartermaster is uh very upset about how his name is pronounced uh, so i'm not <laughs> going to pronounce it out loud um in case he gets mad at me
2: dakachin
0: dakachin but he's you know very upset about uh, them trying to get his stuff and this is a this i don't think has really paid off very well but it is like commander Riker trying to be like hey troy you were giving me advice on how to talk to this guy why don't you deal with him and i was like oh i thought that was a nice like maybe she will step up and actually do something active here but really just her presence is the only thing that is necessary for him to want to help which makes it seem really sexist and weird correct and they admit it
2: on screen
0: yeah
1: I will say, Troy has a great line. He's the king of this particular hill. You'll have to treat him that way. Which I think any time, like, like, bureaucracy at any level. Like that's just such a beautiful uh image of that. Like I always say if you give someone a walkie-talkie, like you give them the power to like <laughs> to suddenly be powerful. Like if you've ever done a festival, I used to do bumper shoots all the time and I'd have to go on campus early to drop off things and there'd be these volunteers with walkie talkies and because they had walkie talkies it was like excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? And it's just, you know, True. and you have to treat them as the king of their particular Hitler Hitler. Why
3: were they from Missouri working at Bumble Shoes?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I feel attacked.
1: It was a cultural exchange program. <laughs>
2: Dakachin is our second <laughs> obtrusive or obstructive uh, bureaucrat that we meet. Yeah, and yeah, they don't really delve into that as like a theme of the show, but we get two of them in one episode that are standing in the way and each of the Enterprise crew members who have to deal with that mm. particular person has to find a way to make them acquiesce to what they need, which is interesting, I thought. But nobody mentioned it, so it must have just been me, but I thought it was real police state-ish of how um, Riker rolls in and he's like, give me everything you need. Mm. Or everything I want. Um, what do you mean? Who's this guy? Who do you think you are? Like it was the the Federation shows up and they're like, you know, y- give me everything that I want, uh, regardless of whatever agency you may have. Uh, and then he had to back up and, and take a different tact, which was ultimately sexist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a little bit of that military thing going
0: in, right? I'm thinking of, you know, most people don't treat the supply staff as, uh, you know. Uh, being as cool as being on top of a uh, starship, right? Being in command of a starship. And I think Riker does get a good dressing down here to be like, no, I mean, they're just as vital to the ongoing of parts of the Federation as, as you can. You got to treat it with respect, Uh, which is why he's like, well, I can't do that. So, let me let you do that, counselor. <laughs> Seems really stupid. Yeah. And I wonder if there is a theme there, uh, of the bureaucracy of uh, standing in the way of, of of the plot or the change. A lot of the themes around this were about like unification and be, like the German unification that we were talking about happening uh, a few years ago. And the timeline of this uh, uh, series was an inspiration for this of like, oh, yeah, it, everybody wants to do it, but there is all of these systems and officials that you need to get through in order to just do what the people really want and that's kind of maybe maybe that's a theme there i don't know but eventually they figure out hey the tripoli is a ship that was decommissioned there's been throwing stuff on it and uh it's not there, and maybe this has to do with where this deflector array is uh, they're trying to track down, uh, and and maybe it'll have something to do with this A-plot eventually, but we'll never know. We get a Klingon captain, Kavada, who is showing Picard and Data around, and uh, we get this wonderful, weird scene in the Klingon uh, ship that's, you know, there's one bed, it's not even a bed, it's just a platform. Um, Shelf. <laughs> It's and such just, comedy. He just
4: can't sleep because Dana's watching him like a creep. I mean, he's not. He's oh. downloading, he's indexing his, his files or something. But Picard, you know, that's what he's feeling. And it's,
5: yeah. it's great. Between that it's and great. trying
3: to imagine a similar uh, scene with uh, Klingon on on the uh, Enterprise being shown around by like Geordi. You know, I, I hope the bed's not too soft. And he would say, I like a soft bed.
5: Uh
3: you know, to try and respond in the same way Picard is. It's it's just delightful all the way through.
0: It's so good. Uh I enjoyed the depth of field again, because it is that <laughs> yep. the thing where Picard is trying to sleep and then you see data and French knows he knows he's being funny. He yes. knows it. And it's it's played yeah. so straight though, but it, we all know
2: he's laughing internally right. as he's doing it. Well it's like a spit take. It's- yeah. Everybody knows what it is. They can feel when it's coming. But when the opportunity presents itself as an actor, if you don't at least try it, yeah. then you're failing. You have to go for the joke. And he does. And it was at this scene, I think, where I was like, did they just get the technology for the force perspective? For TV? <laughs> 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 because he's using it a lot. <laughs> He just took a class on
0: forced perspective. And they're like, let's try to make it. I got to use it in every single Guys, scene going I forward. I took
2: a class over the weekend. I got some ideas. <laughs> uh, or I watched
3: a John Carpenter movie. <laughs>
2: but it ends
0: with getting some terrible news. Uh, and so a subspace communication has come in to the cloaked Klingon ship. Uh, and the Klingon captain just says, yeah, it's, uh, 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 the message says, Sarek has died.
4: It's very Greek tragedy. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Just have a messenger just come in and hand you a thing. Be like, oh, someone has died.
0: Efficient. The character aptly
3: named Messenger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Enterprise hides amongst the trash. Maybe that is a, a Star Wars reference there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they see a small combat vessel that's just as uh, armed as the Enterprise. They have uh, a bit of a tussle. The shields of the Enterprise are going down. Worf is commanded by uh, Riker just to, you know, fire a warning shot. Wait, no, I said across her nose, not up it. The ship blows up
2: in front of them. <laughs> TVTropes.com had a great reference to this. It's like, it must have been loaded with Explodium. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going
3: to make a Pinto joke, but it, you know I'm 30 years too late. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> People don't in the 24th century don't even know what a Pinto is. <laughs>
4: Horse, nor car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it must have been
0: having some weapon systems on board is basically what they're saying. And what does that mean uh, for the future of what's going on? But then we finally get the reveal of Picard and Data as Romulans. They beam down on to Romulus uh, and they are looking good. Mm Mm-hmm. They're fitting right in. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Kate, but I just want to make sure you're aware of it at the very least. There is a picture of uh, Jean-Luc Picard uh, shirtless (gasps) in his Romulan makeup. And I was like, ooh, this is actually quite enticing.
1: I shall have to find that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I think think
4: the more pointy your civilizations shoulder pads are the more aligned <laughs> with fascism you tend to be like look at them Ooh. look at the Cardassians. like i oh, mean yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, late 80s u.s yeah I mean, it's all tracks.
4: I mean, those Hugo boss uniforms. Yeah. <laughs>
2: they were very aggressive shoulder pads. Yeah.
0: I love also that data is acting uh, very Android like, and, and Picard is like, yeah, Hey, stop looking around. Like you've got servos going on. Dude,
4: dude, be chill. (laughs) (laughs) don't be suspicious
0: (laughs) perhaps wondering if data is not the best person to bring on a on a you know mission quite like this
3: i want to hear data improvise like a backstory that he has written down to a cop who's asking only like hi where are you guys going and he he just lays into a big long lie filled with details that's that's the scene I want
0: and then of course before this uh data does the wonderful thing of asking of like why are you taking the news of someone dying so hard Picard um but it is something that I don't think I really realized until uh, uh Picard says it out loud is like this mission is now changed is not just go find Spock and try to figure out what he's doing he's like go find Spock and now you have to tell him that his father is dead, and that is a very different mission. Uh, and and Picard is reeling from that, as well as his own grief of, of uh, someone that he's had a mind meld next this connection with going forward.
4: Well, I was just gonna say it's just like a it's a it's a cool moment because it's we don't really feel. Until then, like, the, the, the real weight of that, because he's just kind of going through the mission like he would have gone through it before. And then finally, when you have to sort of explain a very human emotion to Data, it oftentimes clicks for us. We're like, oh yeah, we've just been sort of riding along with this story, but there is this this deeper implication to what Picard is doing, and it's really sad.
0: Yeah, they won't be able to have that that closure. Mm-hmm. And then Data's like, it's weird that they never had closure, given how long they live. <laughs> welcome to life data
5: yep
1: don't forget we also learn uh thanks to the captain of the ship before they uh beam down in their disguises uh he says that a romulan woman will lick the makeup off of data's ears so we learn a little something about the mating habits
4: (laughs) (laughs) they are closer to the ferengi than we think (laughs) (laughs)
0: but then uh i think picard and did do a terrible job of casing the joint here they are pretty pretty you know conspicuous (laughs) they have the 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 bad guys know they are there they're just basically waiting for them to do something stupid and uh they they're like well let's just go get some soup
4: i love this scene yeah with the with the the little soup vendor, it's so tense and it's so great and it's so weird but it's like it's just like you know when they're just asking you some questions, she's like, why are you asking questions? It's like, well, cause we want to know, well, where are you from? Why would you be asking yeah. this question? You know, it's like, yeah. and then just the sort of like back and forth grilling. And then it turns out she's just like, oh, just assuming that they're like part of like hidden security forces and just wants to know, wants everyone to know she's very loyal. Yeah. Right.
3: Just that they walk in, the very first person they talk to, they're like cop.
5: <laughs> so,
4: like, I know it's this is very on Starfleet to be judgmental about the cultures of of of, of alien civilizations, but Romulus sounds like it sucks. <laughs> 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 this is a terrible place to live.
0: They they they're living in a fascist regime. They really are because she's more scared of them than they are of her. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that it's never really quite mentioned or explicitly said. But Picard hates this soup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that look he gives,
4: oh my gosh, it is uh, it's choice. It is.
0: And even Data is like, maybe you should pretend to like this soup uh, while we're being watched by the secret police. And he can barely do it. They take like two and a half sips and they're just like, no, let's get out of here. Let's bug out.
1: Well, and considering we've seen him eat Klingon food with, right. you know, like gusto and just, you know, like bravado and like, this must be just, just bad. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I feel like I feel like Klingon food has got to have like all that that like passion—not rage, but just you know that like warm, uh, hot-blooded nature that they have. Just like that's like poured into their cooking. Even like when you see that chef, the Klingon chef on uh, DS Nine, you know, mm. he's just very much like you think like a Klingon warrior, but they are chef. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like just you know Romulans with their their culture of secrecy and uh, all of that—it's like. You never know what's in your food, um, <laughs> both from an ingredient standpoint, but also from probably poison standpoint. So it's always got to be a really unpleasant experience eating. Like both, I think, from a flavor standpoint and just in general.
0: Canon. Canon. Texture wise, it looked like, you know, pudding or gruel or something like that. It was like yeah, very not, British. Uh, yeah. crusty <laughs> so it's,
4: it's, brand imitation gruel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but luckily they don't have to pretend too long because they see Pardek. They see the senator. He's right there in front of them. They're like, oh, let's get out of here. But then they're arrested immediately after that. They get taken down into a natural cave in the middle of the city.
4: The TNG cave set. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they
0: had oh, we, it available. Oh, we
4: have blown the rest of our uh, locations budget. What <laughs> other sets do we have to put this in?
0: Absolutely. Let's find out what's uh, what's available. Uh, we'll just spray it a different color, just like uh, just like data. <laughs> then we realize, oh, you're among friends. We're just kidding. We weren't really arresting you. And they're t- taking off their security. Yeah. Things as they're doing it. I was like, see, we're we're wearing normal clothes and we're not doing the fascist shoulder pads. <laughs> that was just a joke. And then uh, you know, Picard says we're looking for. Spock, indeed, you have found him, Captain Picard. And we get Letter Nimoy Oof. in the flesh. He's there. To be continued.
4: That's, that's a banger of a cliffhanger right there. Flash. Right? like Yeah. <laughs> I would be, if I had had to watch this in person, I would have been so mad that I had to wait a week. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah, we were throwing I, stuff, man. I can imagine.
0: I was yelling. I was screaming. I was like, Ah! Can't believe it! It's fuck.
4: <laughs> Well, I was just gonna ask: Is this the first um, TNG crossover event that they did, or uh, uh, TOS crossover event? Because I know they had Scotty and Relics later, but I think this is the first time someone from TOS yeah. showed up in Next Gen, right? It's
0: in Encounter in Farpoint to force Kelly. That's yes. Yeah, that's right. That's it's right. That's right, right, right. As Jimmy mentioned uh, when we were going through the thing, it was always something that they had wanted to do, and especially having it with uh, Leonard Nimoy be a part of it, um, and didn't feel right. Uh, and for this. He said this was the time where it felt like uh, my my emergence from that timeline into this one seemed like the best way to link them together. So this was this was a moment where it was like Star Trek is one thing now. It's not two that seem to have diverged. It, it felt like this was a, a combining of the forces.
4: Yeah. And I think that's like I think like one of the coolest things about Star Trek to like go into it as a fan. And one of the most challenging things as a writer to, to contend with is that there is so much. Um, canon throughout 800 plus episodes that you have to be mindful of and that you have to have someone on staff that knows (laughs) because there's, you know, there's real easy ways to, you know, contradict stuff or uh, add to stuff in certain ways that like recontextualize it that makes it even cooler like in the sense of like Picard having this whole interaction in the next episode with Spock knowing that he had this human sister and, you know, like that's, and that's again in the next episode that you'll get to but I think that it's like, that's one of the the things about it that I love the most is that there's like all these little kernels, uh, peppered throughout. Like for example, Gowron, he shows up four times in TNG, like in, you know, that's not that many. And in this, sorry, he shows up three times. He is mentioned four times in this, you know, this episode is appearance four. Yeah. And then he's like a huge player in DS9. You know, and, and I think that that's like one of the coolest things is like the writers who are fans of a, a series previous coming into it and being like, what's that one episode where they mentioned that one thing once? You know, <laughs> Cardassians, for example, had what, like yeah. four episodes throughout TNG, and then they are the major antagonist for Deep Space Nine. and. And to the, to the point of like, you know, the the uh, um, fandom sort of uh, revolting against the new, I feel like that's going to, that's every Star Trek. It's going to be every single, Yes. Yeah. You know, and even like, even the ones that um, come out of the gate, I think relatively popular still have a certain amount of the fandom that's like, well, this isn't Star Trek. This isn't it for me. And it's like, okay. Yeah. No one cares. Like it's- <laughs> <laughs>
2: right.
4: Like, and that's, like, for me as a writer, I'm, like, if you want to discount Discovery or Enterprise or whatever from from your own personal headcanon, that's your business. That's not that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening in the shows and what's going on. But, like, there's still so many episodes you can watch if you don't like new stuff. Like, there's so many. So, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I have a hard time taking that that segment of uh, 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 any sort of fandom uh, uh seriously i mean the i was uh, told that the uh the star trek um uh, strike day that we did early on by john billingsley that uh, like the the day after enterprise aired um which was just a few like like a couple weeks after 911 there was a protest in front of paramount of star trek fans protesting the theme song of enterprise <laughs> like
0: Come on, guys!
2: There's a little bit more important
0: things going on.
4: And also, I feel like that theme song, at the time, you know, sure, maybe maligned. I feel like the fandom has sort of reclaimed it and kind of has embraced it in a new way. So, uh, I know all the words. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and you're totally right and it usually takes a couple of years and I think at this time here in season five we're definitely in the time period where uh, this was all Star Trek we all just won Star Trek uh, at this moment in time before it gets fractured again uh, with the with each subsequent series that comes out because you're totally right I would like to throw to the final thoughts on this episode Unification 1 Eric I'm going to throw it to you first
3: uh, I give it uh, eight and a half sticky bed scenes I I was uh, <laughs> very very pleased with the comedy arriving from the the situation the script and the physicality of the actors yay all three funny as fuck and i enjoy you know we were talking the other day like i enjoy actors who know that everything is comedy so like every time i see brent spiner in something i think robert duvall i think this guy knows that everything is funny and the rest is collaboration (laughs) <laughs> you know uh and it it was just such a delight to to get to see him play with with some of the tropes we've been talking about in terms of the camera movement and stuff like that but overall a hugely uh successful uh, episode even with the rightly maligned B plot that we still don't know where the hell that's going we have some some ideas
4: Go some real cabin. fun places in the next episode. I just yes. yes. ahead, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh man, I, I wish I had taken that episode."
3: <laughs> <laughs> so that, so that does play into my my uh, high rating of eight and a half. That uh, it all, <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. So I I really had a ball uh, both both watching it and and talking about it today with y'all. So that's me, eight Excellent. and a half sticky bed scenes.
0: Thanks, Eric. Kate, I'll throw it to you. I'm
1: going to give this also eight and a half, but a uh, fee. Of uh, between two characters, so there's good depth of field between them. Uh, so <laughs> eight and a half, eight and a half feet. feet of depth of field. Yeah, this just is a great episode that I know is leading to an episode that is going to make. The things that now seem confusing or <laughs> or pointless make sense. And there's just something so lovely about that coming together of the old and the new, and we get Sarek and we get just that little glimpse of uh, Spock. And like, I dig still. I'm one of those people that um, avoids streaming a a, a show a new show like all at once i'm like the worst for streaming revenue or streaming like numbers cuz i like to watch it weekly because i love that exquisite torture between episodes mm-hmm. where you're waiting and you're not sure what the uh what the outcome is going to be and this one was just so beautiful to like just give us that little kiss of spock right at the end <laughs> so that we could spend a week screaming internally <laughs> and <laughs> waiting for it all to come together. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a with the comedy and the lotsy work and just the wonderful guest stars, it's a really fantastic episode. And, um, we often talk about, uh, Jimmy, I'm sure you'll talk about this. Like it is an episode to watch for sure. If you're looking at watching TNG and, and w- watching for seminal, episodes, uh, this would rank among
0: those. I love that you said Lotzi. That brought me back to to college and uh, Comedia De La and all that fun <laughs> stuff. Jimmy, what are, what are your final thoughts here?
2: Uh, I'm going to also give it an eight. I think I'll give it eight Explodium Explosions. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly for what Kate had just alluded to is is this an episode you should watch in the Star Trek canon? It absolutely is because it goes both forward and backwards in how it connects the Star Trek universe. Uh, so almost like a circle we get tos connected into tng which also gets directly connected at least by mention into uh star trek discovery years later and that's why i love star trek is
0: (laughs) centuries later for
2: all the episodes where you might not be excited about it when they hit it oh man they hit it big and it just it makes you it's like a prize for you the watcher when you're like oh that's because of this oh my goodness and it's without all the Buffy things where you have to watch it for nine seasons to get any little thing it's just a little treat a golden egg for those of us who have stuck with it all these years so absolutely watch it Leonard Nimoy is amazing Spock is one of the great science fiction characters in the canon of science fiction in general and him coming back is phenomenal
3: letting us hear that voice first
2: awesome Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That, uh, in Shadow, yeah.
0: like it really worked well.
2: And they love that, right? In this in this series, they love the from the shadows. That's yeah. how we sell yeah. Sella, we see Spock, and then Sella <laughs> gets in again from behind the door. It's like, surprise. Here we are. <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
0: it. Carlos, what are you going to give it for your final thoughts here?
4: I'll give it um, also eight out of 10 collected episode fees off one line. <laughs> it's either that or uh eight out of ten romulan soups that i didn't have to eat i was <laughs> no, i think for all the reasons that 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 y'all said it's like it's it's an iconic episode in that it it's the first tng episode that has leonard nimoy in it like that alone makes it significant um you know like you said leonard nimoy or the spock is I mean, I would argue really at this point in the way like internet culture and all that, I would say that Spock is probably the most like culturally pervasive sci-fi figure in the sci-fi canon in terms of awareness internationally, um, you know, across the world. So I think like Getting to see him, uh, even for this, you know, one snippet in this, it's, I think, much more significant in the next episode, getting to, inter- you know, or at least getting to know that he's going to interact with uh, with uh, Stuart in the next episode. You're like, these are titans right here. These are, like, I mean, Picard is a- also, I would say, among the the sort of, like, iconic canonical figures to the point where it's like, I look at Picard and that's the reason that I understand that Charles Xavier is played by the same man. Like, you know, it's... Mm he he sort of uh, I, I, you know entered into that 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 space as like oh i will be every uh, iconic bald person in, in, in science fiction <laughs> i love a two-parter in this and this this one is really effective because it sets so many things to knock down in the next episode that are you're just like when you don't see them in the full context you're like i don't this doesn't make any sense like the 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 b story is it feels like a throwaway but it's worth it. It's so <laughs> worth it in the next episode. Oh my um, so yeah, yeah, my
0: thoughts. Great. All right, well, we'll come back to you in a sec uh, to, to let us know how people can follow and find out everything you're doing as far as strikes and things go. Uh, but my quick final thoughts here are, uh, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it nine and a half. Ooh. Uh, because I think this episode is all about edging uh, toward <laughs> anticipation. Um, because there is so much... That is like it's it's about it's about getting to there, getting to that final scene, and then even you know uh, uh, what's happening in uh, Unification Three. Like it's all it's setting all of these things up uh, for what's going to occur, and you have to deal with the uh, uh, you know the bureaucracy and the the steps along the way to make it happen. But everyone knows what what the goals are here. Like we've got to get to Spock, we've got to get Romulans and Vulcans understanding their their differences and coming together, bridging the schism between those two peoples. Like that's kind of all this was about. That come together it's anticipation it's all about making sure it's going to occur and we are as audience members know that I love that you're all laughing at my my silly sex joke, <laughs> is what the scene's about, right? Because it's it's really mundane. Most of what happens in this episode is really boring, but it's only fun and interesting because we know what's coming. We know uh, that if we, if we we do the right things, we'll get to these moments and make it all happen. And I think that's uh, kind of another theme here uh, that's going on. And it's it does it really well. Everyone in the production of this, they were worried about this episode, as we said, because it, it, it didn't have that payoff. It wasn't a Spock episode. It was about the anticipation of Spock uh, uh, appearing. And that could have gone really bad. It could have been a really crappy episode, but I think it does it really well uh, by focusing on the small little moments, the soup, uh, the sleeping, uh, the jigsaw puzzling, all that stuff is all like kind of important, p- leading up to what uh, everybody uh, in fandom wanted, which was um, uh, Spock's return here. Um, so very cool for a first parter. Uh, I love that it. it gets paid off in the second one, and then Carlos, that you were able to work it into uh, you know season three of Discovery, centuries later, uh, having these two peoples have that thing come together. So neat.
4: Similarly, we had this was actually a really that was a hard episode to break um, because we were both like trying to break this pretty complex uh, character story for Burnham while also, you know, continuing along this sort of uh, overarching season mystery and trying to sort of like play into the seed of that. Um, and then, you know, also reestablishing uh, Vulcan in the thirty-second century, which had in 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 our show is is renamed uh, Nivar, which uh, is roughly translated to homeworld, uh, and it was something that the writer uh, uh, Kristen Byer, who uh, if 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 you are big Star Trek heads, Kristen Byer's a name you should know. She's like, I think she's worked on many of the Voyager novels. Um, she's, uh, I mean, she's written on, I think three different shows in the modern era at this point. You know, she's, she's had her fingers in a lot. She was the co-creator of Picard, uh, the, the, the new one. Um, But uh, it was a lot because like she was, she was kind of our canon person. And this is, it was our canon heaviest episode of, uh, of season three and a really important one, I think for the fans, because if we're a invoking one of the most important and seminal episodes of next and well-known episodes of next gen, we better do it right. <laughs> On <the back> end. <laughs> Everyone's gonna rewatch those episodes before you do Unification Three. Mm-hmm. I did. It was a, it was a, it was a tough break. It was a really, it was a hard episode to sort of get, get right, but. And we we're all, I think, a little worried because you you never know what the reactions are going to be. But I think that was one of the fan favorites of the season.
0: Well, and you mentioned early on you're in the middle of striking and picketing. Uh, how can people support or or follow along uh, what's going on with you guys?
4: You can follow me on the cursed hell site for as long as it still exists at. Uh, uh, at Carlos underscore Cisco. The the thing that I'd I'd really point uh, people to that want to support uh, would be the various strike funds, but in particular, the Entertainment Community Fund. Um, It's uh, it's a fund that uh, we're raising massive amounts of money for that uh, goes to benefit everyone in the business. It's not just for writers uh, or actors or people who are on strike. It's for anybody, cast, crew, um, you know, people uh, in VFX uh, and stuff like that. That have worked in the industry that are out of work because of work stoppages, and so it provides, uh, you know, grants uh, for people so they can pay for their healthcare and their food and their their homes. Um, and so that would be, I think, that if, if you're looking for a a tangible uh, uh, site to throw your money at, that would be the way uh, to do it. Uh, as always, you can you can amplify our messages online. Uh, maybe this is a, a bit of insider knowledge. Don't share um, articles from Variety and Deadline and things like that because those are all uh, publications owned by the AM, uh, an AMPTP company. So if you've noticed a bias in reporting, it's because there is. And you'll often see an article come out and then dozens and dozens of captains immediately refuting the information online because they're, they're full of lies. So I would <laughs> I would, you know, uh, uh, follow um, WGA writers, uh, follow the WGA uh, on on social media and amplify our message. If you indeed believe it's one worth amplifying, I'm not going to tell you to uh, stand with us if you don't believe in that. But if you if you don't, then don't watch Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if you
0: like Star Trek, you're going to be uh, a union man, as Cole Meaney said. Uh, excellent. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you. Really great to have you on and hear your insights about uh, uh, Star Trek and creating this. It's been really a pleasure. So thank you so much, Carlos.
4: Awesome. No, I'm, this was uh, this was uh, a lot of fun and, and a, a great excuse to watch a, a fantastic episode again. So thank you. All
0: right. Awesome. And uh, I don't know about the four of you, but my pants are extremely wet right now from <laughs> uh, standing and talking and all of the coffee that I've drank. So... I gotta go do some jigsaw puzzles.
4: <laughs> I'm gonna go look some gift horses in the
0: mouth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at reengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at gregtito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage.